0: Hello, you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the 10th of August 2023 and I, friend, my friends, am bereft because we have no Sarah Ryan. She has buggered off to Greece, to the family estates for three weeks and left me on my own. But I'm delighted to announce that uh, I have a more than able replacement uh, somebody who's been my friend for many years who has been uh, a pro life campaigner of note in this country for for a long time but more than that a campaigner for the Irish language an excellent traditional musician somebody with opinions on lots of things who happens to write for grip that is miss Nevy Brean Neve Niamh, you're very welcome
1: thanks John. What a great intro
0: ah, thank you it's a it's a delight to have you here it's been it's been a, a fascinating week uh how did you spend it
1: Well, looking at, I suppose, a lot of the madness that's that's occurring in the country. And I think somebody who seems to have noticed um, some of the the changes that happened, perhaps without anybody taking realising what was really going on, is Senator. Jared Crockwell, and you you wrote about that this week, John, um, and you used the famous phrase from Howard Beale, I'm as mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore.
0: Yeah, I thought it was very similar to that um, in, in many ways, because like, if you think of that movie, and most people might not have seen it, but it's basically the story of a, a news anchor who just reads out the news normally, whatever's on the screen for most of his, his, his career and life, and then he gets told he's getting sacked, that he's not, he's yeah. not up to it anymore, and he basically decides to go rogue, and he starts talking about um, all the stuff that really annoys him. And all of a sudden, this this old grey bloke who no one's interested in anymore, everyone's tuning in to see what he'll say next. And I thought there was yeah. a hint of that in Jared Crockwell this week because Jared Crockwell is, I mean, he's the definition of sort of an anonymous senator. Um, yes, uh, you know, uh, uh, we were talking about it during the week. we were trying to figure out when did he get elected? And it was 2014, as it happens. People might remember there was a, a by-election for the Shannon, in which the Finnegale candidate ran into some difficulties. And Jared Crockwell was not anyone's favourite to get elected, but kind of, and I mean this with no disrespect to the senator, he kind of won by surprise and by default due to a, a flaw in the in the in the candidate at the time, and he's yeah. been a senator. He's been a senator a senator ever since, and he voted for the very thing which he's now really annoyed about, which is the Gender Recognition Act. He voted for it because he said he felt it was compassionate.
1: Well, well, isn't not that what makes it so interesting that he voted is. for this? Everybody voted for it. You know, nobody demurred against it. I, I'm sure anybody who did speak against it, like the usual brave souls like Matthew McGraw, whatever, were just. Castigated and ignored. And now I think Jared Crockwell, like many people, is saying, like, hold on a minute, I I didn't realise this was what the Gender Recognition Act would lead to. It wouldn't, he's particularly focused, I think, on Tenny and on what's being kind of encouraged or uh, be promoted to children in, ten- in terms of dr- transgenderism. But other people would look at things like the Barbie Kardashian story, you know, and, th- and they would say and argue, I never thought that voting for something which I thought or supporting something which would uh, which was meant to just help transgender people or people with gender dysphoria would need to, like a violent male rapist being put into a woman's jail. and And... And the senator is kind of saying the same thing, isn't he? He's kind of saying, well, I voted for this. I thought it was an act of, an act of kindness in terms of inclusivity and diversity and everything else. And I'm finding that it's having this horrible outcome where organisations are talking to children, people, children under 12, about being transgender and everything else that entails.
0: What, what I think is interesting about it um, is not so much his position, because there are lots of people, mm. lots of politicians who over the years vote for things and then say, oh, I probably shouldn't have voted for that. That's a that's a, a kind of common enough thing that happens and you can forgive them. And I think we can forgive uh, Senator Crockwell in this case yeah. too. But what's interesting for me is the kind of raw anger. It wasn't just a – were, tweets weren't kind of going um, – you know, I I shouldn't have voted for this in retrospect. They were going, I will almost devote the rest of my career to undoing this tremendous error, and I don't care if yeah. I lose my seat and I'm going to war. Damn it. You know, that was the tone. And <laughs> it's it strikes me that um and I said this in my piece, and I don't know whether you agree with it, that for years the most powerful sort of tool of progressivism in Ireland has been that anger, but directed against the church over the yeah. sense the sense that. Uh, rightly in many cases, that people felt deceived, you know, that there was this sense that you were being told something from the pulpit on a Sunday, but priests were doing something different in the privacy of their own homes. And the church was preaching X, Y, and Z, but not practicing it. And there was anger and there was betrayal. Um, And I get the feel, this is the first time I can really remember somebody who had been on the progressive wing kind of saying, I feel betrayed. I feel like I've been lied to. I feel like this message of compassion isn't really about compassion at all. Like that—that was what I thought was significant for me because I mean, if you yeah. want, people, if you want people saying the kind of things you and I would say about the Gender Recognition Act, I mean, they're ten a penny. But here's somebody who, uh, well, maybe not ten a penny, but like you know, you get it. you you you—you're not short of them. Um, yeah. Whereas here's somebody who actually is a convert who 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 is expressing a sense of betrayal, and I think that feeling—I think that's what's really dangerous for our friends in inverted commas on the left if that feeling becomes more widespread, that people yeah. duped. Because that's you almost see. more important than the than the the issue itself. I think
1: it is, and and you see that's what people especially don't like. I think it, people won't hold it against you if you have a different opinion to them, but they don't like the feeling that they've been duped. And you used that word in your article, hoodwinked, and it's, and I think that actually really described what was coming across in Jerry Crockwell's tweets because he was he was furious in the tweets and he wasn't holding back about what he thought or what he wanted to say. Like somebody said to me uh, when they were reading them that he he was being very ballsy, and I know what they meant. Like he was. Saying, what a lot of senators and TDs probably think privately and, and are afraid to say publicly. And it, it seems to me that it's part of a kind of a, gro- a growing trend and that there may be a tipping point being reached around this issue. Um, and it's really got nothing to do with gender dysphoria or, or people who are transgender, many of whom I would imagine are kind of dismayed by what has happened um, over the over the last few years you know and because they don't they, they're not looking for these kind of crazy outcomes at all they're not looking to talk to 12 year old children or eight year old children about changing sex they're not looking to have Barbie kardashian incarcerated with women they're just people who want to get on with their lives but the movement has has because it's taken a certain position it almost seems forced into supporting all of this madness and jared crockwell has cottoned on to that and he is i think speaking for a lot of people when he's Using this very forceful, strong language, kind of, as you say, almost showing that he's he feels hoodwinked or betrayed or duped well, by what's de- happened.
0: He's definitely not alone, lonely, because you and I are both familiar, mm. and we, we we obviously we don't name people on this podcast if they haven't named themselves publicly. But we're both aware of a very senior Fine Gael elder statesman who yeah. will, who's going around telling everybody he can talk to um, about how mad he thinks all this stuff is. Um, and, and so he's definitely not alone. There are no. people in politics in Fianna Fáil and Fine Of course, in Irish politics, if you're in a party, you're in Fianna Fáil, you're in Fine Gael, Labour, the Greens, you don't speak out on things. You don't rock the boat. That's just, it's almost in the blood. It's not, it's not yeah. so much a rule as it's just, you know, your, your your tribal loyalty comes first. But, and so, so the fact that he's an independent is probably the reason why he feels safer or more liberated in saying these things.
1: No, but, it is. I think that's a really important point. I think it's precisely the independents who are showing, and small parties like Aintu, of course, who are showing courage these days on on a whole range of issues. And Paul Worry, who writes for Ript, was formerly an Irish Times journalist, is a beautiful writer, and he has an article today um, called Hacks, Hamsters and Hush Puppies. And he talks about, you know, the use of language and creating narratives and things like that. And he says, you know, people say oh politicians and journalists they need to be braver and he has this great phrase you know where he says you think journalists are brave you know hacks are hamsters not heroes and he says like he says he's not trying to be disparaging simply descriptive and that the majority of journalists like don't get to write what they want or they they write what they're allowed to write and what's acceptable to write I thought it was very incisive remark and you could apply the same to politicians. You know, I'm sure, just like the other statesman we talked about just now, there are plenty of other TDs in Fianna and Fianna, Fáil and, Fianna Fáil and they are deeply uncomfortable with what's happening. They know that the public are deeply uncomfortable with what's happening around this issue, but they say what they're allowed to say and what's acceptable to say instead of saying what they really think.
0: what I thought was really interesting in Poll's article as well, aside from the point he makes about journalists, is the point he makes about the broad tactics that are still employed. Uh, yes. Because he, he's essentially saying in that piece, because Paul is a, is a what you might call a northern constitutional nationalist of a certain mm. vintage. So he was around when all the unpleasantness was going on. And he's making the point that it was a very difficult time to be in Northern Ireland during the Troubles as somebody who was both in favor of a united Ireland, but also opposed to the means by which some people were pursuing that. I um, uh, uh, he's saying the difficulty was that if you expressed any view in the 70s and 80s in favour of a united Ireland, there was this sense that you were, for want of a better term, a man, even though you might be. Uh, so so people like the SDLP had to spend their whole life justifying that actually, you know, they they weren't like the very worst people um, uh, uh, by the standards of yeah. the time. Where and now the establishment's tendency, and you see this on things like the the, the protests about the libraries or the, the stuff about immigration, um, where you have local communities. There's this obsession all the time with trying to paint anybody who expresses mm. any kind of concern as sort of a screaming Lula. Um, and that and that is uh, that, that's something the that poll I thought really identified in his piece. And it's another reason why I think Jared Crockwell is so important because this is somebody who voted for the bill, he's yeah. not somebody, he's not. He's not somebody who you can say is a far right screaming lunatic. In inverted commas, he is somebody who voted for the bill, who was eager to be compassionate, who wanted, like most people in the country, do for good reason to do the right thing. And mm. you know, I realised something went wrong, and, and I think that's uh, that's very important. And I think,
1: and he's calling, I think, specifically for action on this. And it would be interesting to see does that get any traction. Like he is calling for the gender recognition act to be overturned by one means some one means or another. You know, and I think that the, the, the voice the number of voices calling for that specific action, it like two years ago was almost not existent And it was largely due to the huge efforts I think then of of campaigners who, as you say, like were always painted by the media as being transphobic or anti-trans or whatever. That this has now begun, I think, to gain traction in, in, in amongst the public. And it it will be interesting to see where all that leads to um in the in the next in the next several years because i think the gender recognition act has facilitated all kinds of craziness that definitely does not have public support but for people who are very committed to the act or to, or to the transgender movement they would see the reversal of the act as a huge step back as a huge loss because because the act you know allows anybody to change their sex without actually meaningfully engaging in anything that should be required to change your sex. So they, they're committed to this kind of um, ideology that says you can change your sex every second day if you like. You know, the, the, the idea that gender isn't, that sex isn't actually real, that gender is, is, is a kind of a spectrum, it's fluid, that John can be a woman tomorrow and I can be a man, and the next day we can change our minds, or the next month we can change our minds and become something different. They're very committed to that ideology, and it doesn't make any sense in the real world, And but it's at the heart of the Gender Recognition Act.
0: Well, well, on that, and we won't spend the whole podcast now talking Mm. about the transgender issue, but before we move on, the Barbie Kardashian thing that happened this week, um, I think is fascinating because of the position in which it places the government. So for those who missed this story, Barbie Kardashian, uh, aka Gabriel Alejandro Gentil, is an individual who we talked about on this show before, who is biologically male, who is exceptionally violent and has a fixation on violence towards women, but Mm. who... um, is legally recognised as a woman under the terms of the Gender Recognition Act. And this week, after that story became just a little bit too hot for the government, he slash she slash it was finally moved from the female wing of Limerick Prison to the male wing. And I don't know how the government can reconcile that because the law of the land says Barbie Kardashian is legally, Niamh, as much a woman as you are, and yet they have just put her, in inverted commas, into a male prison. I do not see how how that would survive a legal challenge when the law of the yeah. land says uh, that Barbie Kardashian is a woman. Um, yeah, well, uh,
1: pre- precisely, because I think, and I've written up previously on gripped that people like Barbie Kardashian, violent males, especially those who um, either want to or have carried out acts of sexual violence against women, they're, they're trolling everybody they know they're not women they they're doing this because they can and the gender recognition act is what allows barbie kardashian to like enforce the government and the authorities to participate in this absolute farce but like now the the, the law is the law barbie kardashian is allowed to claim that he is a woman and now he is in jail with men well, of course, there's going to be a court case, probably taken by one of the taxpayer-funded civil rights organisations, who who will say that his civil rights are being breached and he actually needs to be put back in. Yeah, well, he's not the allowed he's,
0: to make up one thing. He's not allowed to say he's a woman. He's legally a woman. Yes. that the law of the land is he's as much a woman in law as you are. So it's not a matter of him saying it. I mean, that's the that's yes. the gender recognition act. But on your point, which I think is a very good one, which we don't really address enough about the trolling that's going on here. Yeah. The name the name itself. I mean, there's been basically nothing written about this, but Barbie Kardashian, he's taken he's taken the most um, overtly sort of comically feminized Mattel character with the tiny waist and the big boobies and all the rest of it mm. and combined it with Kardashian after mm. the, the Kardashians. Again, people who would be in many ways sort of exaggerated versions of sort of a certain kind sort of comic book femini- femininity femininity. Um, and 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 use that as 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 his slash her name. It is obviously trolling. I mean, there I can't imagine there are many women out there who are seriously embracing womanhood as the full spectrum of womanhood who would deliberately choose for themselves what essentially amounts to a porn star name. I yeah. mean, it, it is it's 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 obviously trolling. Um they, and it's trolling, yeah. it's true and, and when you combine that with the pr- predilection for violence towards women. I mean, it, it doesn't take a psychiatrist to figure out what's going on there, but apparently the government can't see it or couldn't see it until this week.
1: Yeah, like he's he's been described as a, as a homicidal girl. You can ditch the girl part of it, but the homicidal part is very real. Like, this is a deeply, deeply disturbed, deeply violent, deeply manipulative person. And, like like, I know... The whole thing is so ridiculous. The photos of him are so ridiculous. The name is so ridiculous that we can forget sometimes, of course, that he is in prison with women who are usually imprisoned for petty crimes. You know, for these are the women are are not in in prison for violent crimes. And that they have said to Paddy O'Gorman, the podcaster and reporter, that they find this terrifying. You know, they find this deeply frightening that somebody who is a homicidal, violent rapist, a sexual sex offender is is put into prison with them.
0: Or, or a point that Sarah makes on this show all the time when this when this topic comes up. And we keep talking about it, folks, because it's it's really important. And if we didn't keep talking about it, uh, I'm not saying we deserve all the credit, but if we weren't constantly talking about it, this bloke would probably still be in the women's prison. But a point that Sarah makes as well is think of the prison officers. Because obviously yeah. there are there there are laws in this country that if, if i go into prison as a man i am entitled to have my intimate searches in performed by men and vice versa so there are yeah. a woman is entitled to have a woman perform in inverted commas intimate searches which are often required in prisons for various reasons to do with drugs and everything else so so like think of the prison officers what they have to go through um, and yeah, they didn't sign up for that
1: anyway and the other the other the, other, the other big story I think dominating this week has been RTE and the continued fall in revenue for RTE and the numbers are are pretty startling really you know the report um out this week says that TV license sales for the first week in August fell by 900,000 euros almost a million euros and that the the since the controversy broke the, in comparison with last year, or they're seeing a fall of 3.7 million in TV license revenue, which mostly goes to RTE. So it's very evident, I think, that the public anger that's out there hasn't abated. People yeah. are still furious about this story.
0: I, I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to feel a little bit like. I'm not as cool as I used to be. I used to used to be like the, the guy who used to write, I don't pay my TV license. I'm not paying for that crap. And now, like, I, that used to make me, like, a, a distinguishing thing. Now oh, everyone's at it. Um, but I remember a couple of weeks ago, I wrote about about this, that I thought it would go one of two ways. That either, I think it was the first week of, was it the first week of June? or the last week of June, first week of July was the first time they really saw a drop. And I remember saying it would either be a blip or it could snowball. Like, it could really snowball if, If because I mean, they with the best will in the world, we haven't got the prison places and we haven't got the courts capacity to prosecute everybody. That's just not going to happen. There's safety in numbers, and if more and more people ain't paying, then more and more people who are still paying will think that they're mugs for doing so, and the whole house of cards could collapse fairly quickly. But I wonder, Neve, whether that might not be a a sort of um, blessing in disguise for those, uh, like Timmy Dooley, for example, the Fiendfall senator, former TD. Who are desperate to get rid of the TV license anyway, so they can just jack up taxes and everything else, and give everyone in the media free money?
1: Yeah, like what's a couple of things struck me about this story. One was that I think some people who in July might have been feeling, "Oh God, you know, I'm not going to pay my TV license" as a kind of a, a protest against what they were reading were probably encouraged. You know, remember that judge Anthony Halpin in the Dublin District Court who said he described R.T. as uh, he described a. Uh, people working there, some people working there, as freeloaders who were involved in shenanigans that had left him appalled and disgusted. And he offered sympathy to people before him who, who hadn't paid their licence uh, to date. And I think that was a remarkable thing for for uh, hunters who perhaps hadn't, hadn't paid their license or were considering not paying their license to see. Now, this judge has, has great sympathy for them and he was slamming the, the elitism in, the, in RTE and and their attitude towards, towards the taxpayer, towards people who are paying the TV license. But, uh, and maybe that encouraged others, you know, also to withhold the TV license fee because definitely the drop is huge. But you're absolutely right, John. What's going to happen now is that RTE despite the fact that they're, you know, describing themselves as being covered in shame or they're apologising for what happened in relation to the payments to Tuberty and everything else, they're just simply going to come back now and demand more money because people haven't paid their TV licence. They're going to say, well, we're we're down 3.7 million because people, you know, didn't... didn't, haven't paid up in July and August, so we're going to need that back from the taxpayer, thanks very much. And they'll probably get it. This is the joke of the thing. Like that, People are upset about what was paid to Tuberti, but RTE is getting almost 200 million in annual, in TV licence fees um, from the taxpayer. And they're going to probably, probably ask for more now if there's any shortfall in what's been gathered.
0: Yeah, and there is this huge hunger, and it's not just confined to RTE. I mean, like, all the other media outlets, with the exception of ours, Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are are gasping to get their hands out for money because as we know the media is a sort of an institution that's very difficult as you and I well know need to make money um in in media um it's very difficult because people don't necessarily see why they should pay for something that in many cases they can read on their screens for free that's understandable um and so a lot of the Irish Times, the Indo, the Examiner, all of them, and the local stations as well, are gasping for a government subsidy. And there are many people in the government who are gasping to give it to them because, I suspect, though this is never said outright, but it's interesting when Timmy Dooley, who's sort of making the running on this, talks about this. He talks about the dangers of disinformation and the need for quality yeah. journalism. Like th- There's obviously an eagerness among some in the political class to combat the rise of, in inverted commas, disinformation i.e. people talking about things like Barbie Kardashian mm. uh, by uh, by by giving the media incentives to stay on site um, and all the rest of it. So, so there's a hunger to do this. But I think the person who it's really bad news for, though, is poor old Ryan Tuberty himself. Because I think if the if the government is going to turn around and bail out Horsie over the TV license, there will have to be a sacrifice. There will have to be somebody who is sacrificed on the altar of "see, we've changed and we're better and we're different now." And there's accountability. And I think poor old Ryan Tuberty, despite all his articles about how great Sinead O'Connor was, um, I think he is going to find it very difficult to get his job back.
1: Yeah, mo- mo- most likely. I-, I would say that's correct. It's it's extraordinary though because. I don't you know the old adage John that you don't bite the hand that feeds you obviously applies here and I think it is really perverse for the Irish media to to look for public for RT has always been publicly funded but for the entirety of the Irish media to look for public funding from the government because surely everybody knows this you know that if the government is funding you what does the how does that then impact on how you report on government policies and government actions and Everything else related to uh, definitely like the political going on in the country. Yet, I think for a lot of the media, they're just thinking it's really, really hard to break even. It's really, really hard to get subscriptions. Uh, therefore, we're just going to take the easy route and go and get it from Timmy Dooley and his friends who... I mean, do they seriously imagine there's not going to be oh, a, I, 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 demand I, I for a favour returned?
0: I think it's worse than that. I, I do think it's worse than that. I mean, I was struck this week by Cathy Sheridan in the Irish Times, who wrote a piece saying that criticism of Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice, is or what I think was her phrase, bordering on the misogynistic. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me, I mean, one of the things that I've been saying about most of the media in Ireland now for a long time is that in most democracies, when you think of a democracy and the role of the media, it is supposed to be to hold the powerful to account on behalf of the public. But in the way we've structured society, which is where, you know, you have, in essence... A, a ruling class that is broader than simply the politicians. It encompasses civil servants and journalists and NGOs and charities and some of the big corporations, many of whom are sort of interconnected and people move freely from a job in one to the other. A lot of the media, especially with their employment opportunities now almost outside of journalism, almost being, almost almost being, always being going to work for a politician or going to work for a charity yeah. or going to work for people. Like, it's been inverted. So now that many of the media seem to see their job as being to hold the public to account on behalf of the people in power. And and I thought that was, like, Kathy Sheridan's piece summed that up. You know, how dare you criticise Helen McEntee, you misogynists? I mean, that that's not journalism because, I mean, the public are not the ones with power. These are the same people who will lecture a comedian um, who makes a joke about the transgender stuff for punching down in inverted mm. commas. These people punch down all the time. So I don't think there's any sense of conflict or any sense of sort of conflict of interest in taking money from the government, because in many cases, not all, but in many cases, it'd just be to continue doing what they're doing anyway, which is broadly upholding the status quo, which is, yeah, good, good. is good for, for journalists.
1: <laughs> I mean, the Kathy Sheridan article was just entirely ridiculous. And it's... It, it, I think it's part of a trend, it's part of two trends. One, ever since Helen McEntee has come back from maternity leave, she's been given one soft interview after another. Um because I think, especially for female journalists, they think she's an example for young women as to uh, someone who can a woman who can have it all. But if Helen McEntee was a man and the, the outrage, public outrage we are seeing about O'Connell. Straightly turned into a cesspit you know about the levels of crime in this country was directed at her nobody would would take any issue with that yet because Helen mcatee is a woman any criticism of her is kind of waved away by people like kathy sheridan as bordering bordering on misogyny and I, that absolutely drives me nuts like women do not want to be judged through this lens where we're we're given leeway or excuses are made for us because we're women we should be judged on a record and that that should apply not just to women in government but to women across the board you know there is no equality if this kind of a false equality where excuses are going to be made for us and criticism is all criticism is deflected uh, because we're women that's just but, that's but, not that's not equality it's bullshit I
0: mean I agree with you but I'd refine it a bit more in that it's not simply because she's a woman i mean where was Cathy Sheridan writing articles about criticism of ministers being misogynistic when Mary Harney was being kicked from pillar to post in this country, yeah. um, abused over her weight, called all sorts of names? You know, uh, uh, her looks were were made fun of. Where was Cathy Sheridan? Didn't give a flying you-know-what, or appeared not to. Never wrote a word about it because Mary Harney is not ideologically simpatico. If it was you, Niamh, you know, and, and to many people in Ireland, you. You and people like you, and indeed me and people like me, are the great demons. You know, the backwards, yeah. backwards looking, pro, anti-choice, right-wing, gay, whatever they call us. Yeah. Um, there's no, um, there's no sort of like, oh, you know, we can't criticize women in politics then. No, no, no. What was Lucinda Creighton got when she started? Yeah. I mean, bullshit. Absolute bullshit. So there's, Um. so, 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 so yeah. The broader point is, I, I don't think the media need a financial incentive to do what many of them are doing. Um, and that's that's the unfortunate thing. Um, which is why I'm glad to say um, we're um, at GRIPT, we're growing slowly and not as fast as we'd like, but we're growing. On that note, before we forget to mention it, um, for listeners may have seen that we have an event actually that we're organising on the 16th of September in the RDS, which is, um, it's not a campaigning event because we're a media outlet and we can't and do not campaign. But it, we did think it was important, Neve, to set up an event for people to come and talk through and set out the arguments that are important to people in the media who need free speech and to members of the public who need their free speech about why the hate speech bill um, is is potentially problematic. So that's happening on the 16th of September in the RDS. If you're a subscriber script, if you're a gold or a silver subscriber, we'll give you a free ticket to say thank you. And if you're anybody else, uh, tickets are only 15 quid anyway. So we'd love for you to yeah. There's a great lineup of speakers, um, maybe excluding me. You probably hear enough from me, but we've got people like Michael Schellenberger. Uh, we've got Ben Scallon, of course, uh, who's going to do some talking. Um, we've got Senator Sharon Kilwin We've got Alan uh, Joyce. Alan Joyce. Loads of people. Um, so that'll be uh, a great event.
1: I think it will, I think it's very interesting how much opposition is now being raised to the hate speech bill because it looked like something that was done and dusted. I think just a few months ago, didn't it, John? And by dint, I think, of pure grassroots roots activism and some independent voices speaking out, it it certainly stalled. Anyway, like because people, I think, are so concerned about free speech and and this kind of new era of censorship you know and censorship sounds like a strong word i think it reminds people people of burning books or of jailing people like for saying the wrong thing in, in in authoritarian regimes but it's this new strange kind of censorship where sometimes we censor ourselves people are afraid to say what they think a lot of the time but the hate speech bill i think people's concerns about that is that it would be used to bring the full ramifications of the law down on people who have unpopular opinions
0: yeah i think uh what do i I think about this i think there's a there's there's a couple of things going on here first of all coming back to the very first thing we talked about which was jared crockwell voting for you know whatever it is now 2014 nearly nine years ago for the gender recognition act um the same arguments are being used over and over again no matter what the the progressives in this country want to do. It's always the same. This is the kind and compassionate thing to do to protect the most vulnerable in our society and, you know, recognize women and minorities, whatever it is. Um, and that argument's been rolled out again. And people have had it up to here with it because they're increasingly seeing the degree to which that argument is emotionally driven bullshit. Um, and and mm-hmm. I think they can see through it in this case too. It is not kind and compassionate. You have a story... Um, that just went up before we started recording this podcast about something that happened in the UK this week where where a, a, an autistic girl in her teens allegedly said about a, a female police officer that she looks she looks like she's a lesbian-like nan. So this, this autistic girl who's 16, and we know autistic people don't always communicate in the way that everyone else would, uh, said she looks like my nan who happens to be a lesbian. And tell us what happened. So this video went up
1: yesterday and... All of the details around it aren't confirmed, just to say that, um, John, at this point. But what you can see in the video, I have to say, is is really distressing. And if there's anybody listening who has a member of the family or the extended family who has autism, they'll understand why the behaviour of the police in relation to this teenage girl, she looks to be about 16 or 17, we're not sure of her age, it's just so outrageous so the police are seen coming into the, in the girls home and the girl the girl's mother and again all these details have to be confirmed but you can this interaction is is captured on video the girl's mother is is pleading with them not to arrest the girl who at this stage is hiding in this kind of cupboard under the stairs and is clearly terrified and people with autism very often start to hit themselves that's kind of engage in self-harming when they're especially when they're frightened or distressed and the girl is engaging in that the, the scene is just Terrible, and the, the the mother says then to the police officers, you know, police officer says she's going to be arrested, and the mother says that she's autistic, and the the woman, stony face responds, I don't care, and then a police male police officer is heard saying that homophobic remarks were made at his colleague, and the mother says that her daughter said, I think she is a lesbian like Nana, and the mother is is arguing here that the child simply thought that the um one of the police officers, a, a police woman, and we think from the video, uh, is a lesbian like her grandmother. There was nothing insulting or homophobic about it. But the police persist, and there's at least six police officers in the house, like the teenager at this point is screaming and crying as they try to drag her out of the cupboard under the stairs, and they then remove her from the house. And the whole thing is just horrific. Like, it's absolutely horrific because I think for several reasons. One, if the child made a remark like this, surely one police officer coming in and talking to the family would have been sufficient. Two, like, we are told repeatedly that um, police forces here and in the UK and, and and you can see actually the West Yorkshire police who are the police involved in this case They've been posting about training uh, in dealing with people with autism. You presume that they've undergone uh, special training so that they know how to deal, especially with young people who have autism. They know how to manage that encounter. And certainly none of the people crowding into that house. It looks like a small hallway um, and dealing with that child. Have, could possibly have undergone any training in dealing with people with autism. And then, of course, people are looking at the bigger picture, even though the full details, have, again, as I say, have not come out yet, in relation to free speech and hate speech bills and how they're used and how the authorities use them and, like, the complete overreaction that seems to have taken place um, well, and seems to be captured the, in this video.
0: The other point here is that let us take as given, which we shouldn't, let's take as a given that homophobia should be a crime. Which I, I I don't agree with, but that that's care of. how is saying as this child did that somebody looks like a lesbian. How is that homophobic? That needs to be established in my mind first, because I mean, it, there's an assumption there implicitly that that looking like a lesbian in inverted commas is a homophobic remark. When when we have months and months of the year devoted to LGBT pride and taking pride in being out and proud and looking. Um, like a lesbian, in inverted commas, in some cases. I mean, The assumption that's being, I mean, this is the issue, is is that is that hate speech laws are all about matters of perception. You do yeah. not have to intend any offence to be prosecuted. That is the, and that's what's in this bill that is particularly terrifying, I think. It's that it's got what's called in law a subjective test. So if yeah. somebody feels offended by what you've said, or feels hated, to use the term, by what you've said, then it doesn't really matter if you intended to say something hateful or not, you've committed a crime. And this video is a great example of that because all it takes is what it was on the face of it. And as you've said, the full details haven't come out, but people can watch the video, which is on our website, uh, for themselves um, to see the the degree and the lack of proportion in the reaction. But what seems to have been said um, is remarkably inoffensive. So, so, so yeah, I think people are... are You're are,
1: right, and, and like even if the teenager had said, you know, you're a lesbian, like, is that homophobia? Especially when it's an autistic child. A lot of things have to be taken in context. And you're no, right we, about that, child
0: we, we, we are told that that's something to be proud of. And by the way, I, I'm not saying it's not. When I say we're told it's something to be proud of, people should be absolutely proud to be themselves in a society. But saying, yeah. saying if you told me that I look like an American, or I look, that's not offensive. it's 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 it's, it's, you have to there's a sort of this idea simultaneously that being lgbt is something to be proud of which is supposedly the progressive and correct approach and also this idea that if somebody else notices it it's something to be ashamed of there's a contradiction Um, there
1: is and even if the child had made a remark which a police officer considered offensive was there any need for this complete over the top reaction and I saw Caroline Farrow who has been visited by police uh she's a campaigner in the UK who has been visited by police uh, several times.
0: They basically live in her house now, I think, the police.
1: <laughs> 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 several times of over, over what they consider... Oh, actually, in fairness, she's been visited by police several times over complaints made by other activists saying that she made, that she posted offensive tweets. And, you know, she says the same thing, that at one, four, it was often three or four officers who came to her door to investigate a tweet. And you can't blame people for looking at this kind of nonsense and then looking at this really distressing video um, of this of this particular girl being arrested and and not making, like, the very obvious remark, which is, like, you can't get a policeman or a guard when you need one. <laughs> you have, you're have you looking at the, this absurdity. Yeah, and it, know, is,
0: and, and it is a form of... This is the other thing about the hate speech bill um, and all hate speech laws, is that they are, by definition, political policing. Because you mentioned Caroline Farrow. Now, Caroline Farrow is somebody who I would agree with on some things, but I would consider Caroline... Um, and I, I mean this with no disrespect to her at all. But she, her basic political worldview is that of a very orthodox Catholic. That's a fair assumption, isn't it? Needs fair description. So she would have very strong views on things like, no um, more than I do on things like abortion, uh, gay marriage, euthanasia. But and she would articulate those in a particularly Catholic way.
1: You don't. Have she to. would, but she's she's very respectful, though. Like I've never seen anybody I I, I, I
0: I'm, yeah. I'm not saying she's not, but what I am saying is that those views in the modern society in which we live would, in many cases, be sort of views that a lot of people would disagree with. And and, and because she articulates those views, that's what. It's not that I've never seen any of her tweets that are objectively offensive, unless yeah. we are, unless it is now the law of the land that to hold what one might call traditionally um, traditionally Catholic or indeed Anglican or indeed Muslim views is illegal. That, that, that's, or, that's the point I'm making.
1: Or, or John, just common sense views, like just to say that a, a man is a man and a woman is a woman or there are two genders, this now seems to be a terribly offensive thing to say, perhaps even might even have legal repercussions if the hate uh, speech bill goes through. Like, that's how extraordinary things have come. And I think that's why it's not just Catholics or Christians or Muslims who are who are getting really, really concerned about the direction the world is taking in this regard, you know, because they're seeing that every person... That's the funny thing about free speech, isn't it, John? You don't really care about it until your own is impinged. you know? Yeah. And that's... Yeah, I think that's why people... We've seen this maybe this surge now of opposition to the hate speech bill, because people are realising, hey, it doesn't just apply to the religious or the politically active or to people who have a minority viewpoint. It could very easily apply to me. And I think actually on that, it's interesting, you know, go back to Paul and Murray's article um, about the protests against uh, migrant centres in different areas. I, you know, You've pointed this out that RTE and other media outlets mostly never went down to talk to the local people in those areas. Um, But Gript has. And I went to Ballybrack myself a couple of weeks ago with Fatima Gunning. And what most of people there said to us was, you know, I've never protested on anything like this. I have no issue with people coming into the country. But and this is the first time I've done this because it impacted on my locality and on my community and where I live and my, the fears I have for for the people living in the community if like. Eighty or hundred strangers are suddenly are suddenly yeah, brought in y- here. You
0: you know you know because we talk about this behind the scenes and we're discussing what we're writing about. You know this is a bugbear of mine, right? The people do, and I think it's one of the problems with the country, and it's one of the reasons why progressivism is such a dominant ideology, which is that people don't really object to it until it affects them. So, so like I, one of the things uh, that 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 kind of bothers me, and I respect everyone who is protesting for every re- any reason and and using their right of free speech to make their voice heard. They're an important part of the political process. But like, it does bother me when people start protesting because their area is affected. I mean, if this isn't right for your area, then it's not necessarily right for the whole country. Um, and there's this. But apologet- I think no, no okay. I just finished finish, yeah, just finish, yeah. finish yeah. the point. There's this almost apologetic tone to it. Which is that, you know, oh, well, obviously we disagree with this policy here, but it's it's fine in principle. When I suspect what they mean is, I suspect what they honestly mean is it's not fine in principle. It's madness to be bringing in hundreds of thousands of people when we've got a housing crisis and can't accommodate them. Um, but you can take
1: those two things simultaneously. Like you can, like the polls show that there is a widespread, very large majority of people who feel that we now have kind of lost control, if you like, of, of the immigration situation, or you know, feel that we have taken enough refugees. Um, or all those kind of statements receive huge um, majority support in the opinion polls. But, like, people can see that the government just seems to be ignoring that. You know, so any other policy where you've got, like, 75% of people, or these huge numbers in the opinion polls, saying, we don't agree with what the government is doing here, and the government just continues on irregardless. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you see people then protesting locally, because... It's happening in their own community. They want to do something about it there. They are telling pollsters, probably TDs too, that they disagree with the national policy, but they're just being ignored, completely ignored. Like it's it's astonishing, really.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no, you're completely correct. And the other issue in which this is a this is a real uh, a growing issue, I think, is climate stuff. Um yeah. I, And I want to talk about this before we go because uh, we I've got a piece coming out tomorrow, which is for paying subscribers only. But the um, the 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 launch this week of the Farmers Alliance, or uh, I think what are they called? The Agricultural Alliance uh, political party. Uh, I'm going to get their name right if it kills me. So bear with me <laughs> a second. They'll <laughs> be shot. Called, yeah, I think they're called uh, the Farmers Alliance. Um, the, yeah, I'm right. The Farmers Alliance, which is launching, uh, it says a political party and a political movement, and it is targeted almost entirely. At the um, environmental agenda that's being imposed by the government, which the Farmers Journal says, Farmers Journal this week says seventy-five percent of farmers would vote for a new political party that's that's voted uh, that's targeted at their issues. And I think this is another issue where the government are completely out of step with uh, maybe not all of the public, because maybe the polling is different in cities, but in rural Ireland at least, the opposition to all this green nonsense. And by the way, when I say green nonsense, I'm not talking about things like protecting the oceans or planting more mm. trees and talking about things like killing cows is is growing off the is is going off the scale and politicians don't seem to care or don't seem to notice. And um anyway, what do you think their prospects of success are yeah? Uh,
1: it depends really, John, how well I think the different groupings here can work together. You know, because you already have the rural independent grouping, which is which has, you know, TDs all over the country, which has, I think, very strong spokespersons on, like Michael Collins, Matthew McGrath, um, on on farming issues. And I think it would be a shame if the two groupings didn't try to come together. You know, two I suppose we as well, like any of the newer political parties who are focused on rural issues, it would be, I think it would serve them well to work together, try to maximise their votes rather than going up against each other in the different constituencies. But goes it's, it's absolutely like without question that rural communities are enormously upset with this government and with what they, I have relations that live in Clare, for example, and they see the government as being completely in the pocket of Eamon Ryan. And it's it's hard to disagree with them. And they see that a, a party which has a t- gets a tiny percentage of the vote um, at every election and only really recovered in the last election from more or less being wiped out before that, is allowed to dictate policy uh, to such an extent that farmers are arguing that they're going to be wiped out. Do you know that beef farming, dairy farming, things that have been at the backbone of the economy in this country for, for generations, they, they feel that it's going to be wiped out?
0: Well, I often find it very amusing uh, in sort of a dark way when I, I see, as I often do, people describing Eamon Ryan as incompetent or doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Anne is probably the single most competent politician in the country. And that and I say that with no joy because I think his agenda is deleterious and disastrous and doing significant harm and, and and likely to do significant harm. But he is ruth he is running rings around the two larger parties in the coalition. He is he is enacting an agenda that even if it, it, he's he, he's one of the few politicians in the country who doesn't care whether he loses the next election. He's in there for five yes. years. He is doing uh, enough damage that he knows that it won't be undone in five years if somebody else replaces him, especially if it's Sinn Fein. Um, because they broadly uh, acquiesce to most of what he's doing anyway, and might, mightn't pursue it with the same kind of zealotry, but certainly wouldn't undo it with any zealotry. He doesn't care. So so he is enacting an agenda that is going to be very hard to reverse. I, I think you're correct about the need for groups to work together. Uh, I think there's, I think, the independents have a weakness in that they're independent. So, I mean, and I, I say this with love, because I, I, I have great admiration for many of them in that group. But I mean you know, unless you pool your resources, you can't wield power, uh, and they seem reluctant or unable so far to to pool their resources effectively. Um, So I think Aintu and the Farmers Alliance have the right approach in forming a political party that can actually coherently take power, but, um, you know, too many cooks spoil the broth. It'll be very interesting to see how it all works out. It
1: will, and I think that farmers have some key arguments that Most people would agree with it because a lot of people, I think, don't realise the extent of the harm being caused by a lot of the green policies and the extent of how ridiculous they are. So you have a situation where um, Irish beef farmers, Irish dairy farmers are going to be they feel compelled to close their farms, you know, to move to move away from providing food for Ireland and then for exporting food as well, are going to instead import food from countries as far away as Brazil. You know, and everything that goes with that in terms of the miles of food had to travel, climate costs and everything like that. Like a lot of what they're saying is, 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 act, is true and it makes absolutely no sense at all. And it reminds me of, you know, what happened in relation to turf. You know, that we... We rush to close down uh, the, the, the harvesting of peat, and, and ignoring the fact, for example, that we need also needed peat. Uh, for for horticulture and things like that. And then we started imp- importing the baguettes from Latvia and elsewhere. Like, there is an absolute kind of sense of chaos and madness around a lot of the implementation of these green policies. And a sense that none of it really kind of makes any sense in the, in real terms. Like, how can it make sense to bring in beef from Brazil when we're putting our own farmers out of business? And I think if, if there were strong, I think the, the rural voices... If they come together in a very coherent way, working together, they will get that message out to ordinary people yeah, better and, and, than it's currently being heard.
0: They, they also pose a unique threat to, to the two bigger parties because people forget that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael both had terrible elections in Dublin the last election. Mm. Um, they, mm. They're reliant on rural Ireland for the bulk of their seats, so they're vulnerable to this. But there are also two things you didn't mention, uh, which I think are important. Firstly, that many dairy farmers massively expanded their operations on the explicit instruction of Fianna Fáil and Pinegale, when milk quotas were lifted by the European Union. And grants were provided to expand your operation, build out your, 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 your milking parlour, expand your herd from 100 to 200 cattle. And now they're being told, actually, no, do you know what? We're going to have to slaughter all those cattle again. That's the first thing that I think is driving people demented because they've been driven into, in many cases, massive debts
1: to yeah. expand
0: the operations on the instruction of a government that is now saying, actually, do you know what, that's a mistake, we're melting the polar ice caps. And the second thing is, of course, that Brazil is expanding its it's herd at the same time, and doing so in a way that's much more deleterious to the environment, because Ireland is already massively deforested. We don't have much uh, tree covering here, and what we have is mainly for farming, it's pine. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. in Brazil, where we're rep- every Irish cow that's killed is getting replaced by five new ones in Brazil, they're, they're, they're building it on top of the Amazon. Um, so it's
1: it's insanity Um, It's insanity and you can see why the farmers are so upset and a lot of it I think speaks to this very unfortunate attitude in the Irish government which always seems to place the Irish people paddy last you know like we have to be seen to keep up with European standards we have to be seen to comply with European directives, it doesn't seem to matter what's good for this country and for the people living in this country. I also think it's really important that any country, any nation is able to effectively feed itself. I understand the laws of imports and exports, but that any nation is able to to feed itself. And when you go into when you go shopping on a weekly basis, John, I'm sure you're the same. And you see in a country which is meant to be adopting green policies, like fruit and veg coming from Peru and Israel and and South America, it just seems to me that we have gone so far away from this kind of idea of local production and and uh, and 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 uh, cherishing farmers acknowledging yeah. the very important work that they do that you can see why farmers get so upset about this i find that farmers are frequently written about in the Irish media, in a really disparaging way. You know, the important work that they do, the important contribution that they make, the essential contribution they make. We can live without journalists and Facebook, you can't live without food. You know, is, is often just completely disregarded in a lot of the of the commentary around them, especially from people who have bought completely into kind of the, the green agenda. But I, I like you, when I say the green agenda, I don't mean I want to protect like the oceans, I, I want us to be sensible by protecting the earth with this kind of climate hysteria which always paints farmers. and sometimes human beings, as an enemy to the planet.
0: Well, we're heading towards, we're almost out of time, but before we go, I just want to make one last point on what you've just said, because there's another element to this which which never gets the attention it needs, which is the class war element to it. Because nobody cares that people in leafy South Dublin are eating bananas imported from Madagascar. Nobody cares that they're eating almond milk imported from another corner of the world. Nobody cares about quinoa that's being produced in South America and shipped here at high cost and the, and the forest, forest that's being being getting rid of to produce that. Nobody cares about the coconut milk or the... or yeah, If you are yeah. of a particular class in this country, you can do what you want without ever giving a damn about the impact of your consumption habits on agriculture or the planet. But if you are Mammy um, and Daddy Robert's um, or smith down the country eating six pork, pork sausages with spuds for your dinner uh, and going for an old burger. Uh, well, sure, you're the problem because you're destroying the environment. And it's this is the same across the entire green agenda. Everywhere. The class war element to it is enormous. You know, cycle lanes for Rathgar, but yeah. ban people, give people 10 cars to a village in Strokes Town. Yeah. It is, it is, and, and until people wake up to that and see that the green, the green agenda, and I'm not saying this is deliberate because they're politicians, right? They have to win votes. But the extent to which the snooty Lord, Lord Haw in Dublin get away with murder and no one says anything about them while they, while they, they eat their exotic imported foods, while, while the, while the poor farmer is blamed for everything is, I think, outrageous. And it's, yeah. uh, it's about time somebody said that.
1: Completely agree. It's a writer called Rob Henderson, and he he argues that a lot of the time, waving your green credentials is, you know, like owning a luxury good. I think. Yeah, he's well, the, spot all,
0: on. do you know I was watching because uh, uh, you know I know you wouldn't approve, but I love the cricket, and I was watching the Ashes earlier on this summer. Uh, the kind of people who invade a cricket pitch to throw orange powder on the on the wicket, or people who in, who who go in and throw orange paint at um, at paintings. Or the people who tried to stop the the Open Championship by again throwing orange powder, they aren't from working class areas. They've all been to private schools. They're yes. all, they're all, they're all, you know, they're all like they are members of a particular class. And I think, you know, there's there's a, there's an elitism to this as well. Which, um, <laughs> there is. is, which is anyway, we, 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 we won't hold the cricket against you, John. No, well, it was brilliant this year. <laughs> brilliant. People should take it up. Fantastic sport. Anyway, that is it. I'm afraid for this week, Neve. It's been a delight to have you on the show. We'll have to have you back. Um, Sarah, I think, is gone for another two weeks. Although she might pop in if she gets bored on her holiday, and Keith, ah, uh, she uh, might annoys her, annoys her too much. But uh, until this week, from me and from Neve, that, my friends, was the week that really was.